As far as writing spaces go, it's pretty hard to beat the outdoors. Today's Blockcast guest is no stranger to that. He's trekked nearly 3,000 kilometres across the western and central Himalayas in the mid-90s. Here's John Alanine talking about his latest book that's based on those experiences. It's called Into the Heart of the Himalayas. Well, the book, the framework for the book is a 2,700-kilometer walk from Pakistan to Nepal, uh, so traversing the length of the western Himalayas. Um, and that walk started where the Himalayas, the Karakaram, and the Hindu Kush mountains meet. And soon after that, it crosses into India, and I follow the Indian-Tibetan border um, for a few thousand kilometers and then I finish on the Mahakali River which is the border between India and Nepal. So the framework is is a very long walk in the Himalayas um, and when I initially wrote the first draft of it the book, uh, that first draft really was, it was what you could call a trekking procedural so it was it was a book really about the logistics of undertaking a very long solo walk in the Himalayas. However, a lot of very beautiful and wonderful things happened on that very long walk. Incredible interactions with people and landscape. And I just found that that style of writing didn't do justice to what had occurred to me over four months on on the trail, um, and so that led to that led to the, the my dissatisfaction with that first draft led to a very long process of trying to create a better book, but even deeper, uh, trying to understand what had happened on the trek, and it was a 15-year process to actually discover what the trek was all about and be able to convey the magic of that time in, in a book. I had a tent, uh, a very good mountaineering tent that I set up every evening and it was a two-man tunnel tent. It was a very nice kind of a forest green color and inside the tent I'd actually set up a strings of prayer flags, Tibetan prayer flags. So when I set up the tent, and I was very, very experienced at setting up this tent, I could set this tent up in the dark, I could set this tent up in a blizzard, I could set this tent up in the monsoon. And when I set the tent up, when I pulled all the lines tight, then the prayer flags in this, inside the tent would kind of snap taut, and I would crawl in. It was almost like I was in this this Tibetan cave in a way. So it was a very special space. And every evening, uh, the tent had a vestibule at the front and I set up my stove out there and I would cook my rice and my dal on a pressure cooker. And as the rice and dal was cooking, I would write notes from what had happened during the day. And over the period of the trek, I gathered, I think, four, four notebooks of, uh, well, four journals, and that became the basis of, 
of the book. Maybe the most memorable day was the day that I arrived at the source of the Ganges. A lot of the listeners would know that the Ganges is the is the most sacred river in Hinduism and India. And I was arriving there in uh, quite late on in the year, so it was very cool. Um, and normally, normally the source of the Ganges, which is a place called Gaumuk, which means cow's, cow's mouth, and of course the cow is the, the sacred animal of Hinduism. Um, and because it was later on in the year, there was no pilgrims there. And during the pilgrimage season, uh, there can be thousands or tens of thousands of people. So I was very privileged to be going up there alone. And I remember approaching the source, approaching Gaumuk, uh, just as the sun was setting. So the, the source of the Ganges is a very long glacier, um, Gangotri Glacier. I was approaching the glacier just as the sun was setting and the river actually emanates from the base of this glacier. So above the glacier, the sky was the, the color of, of coral and rubies. And on either side are these snow-clad ice peaks, and they were turning the color of, of, of coral also. And then the face of the glacier uh, was turquoise. It was that kind of bright turquoise of, of, um, of ice. And so coral and turquoise are the protective stones that every Tibetan child receives when they're, when they're born. So I felt this sense of refuge, uh, protection in the landscape. And I so wanted to get to the, to the source of the river before the sun set that I threw off my pack and started running across the glacier, running from boulder to boulder across this moraine field. And I arrived at the, at the source just as the sun was going down, and I was exhausted. I was physically exhausted from weeks and weeks of walking, and I was mentally exhausted. And I just sat down on, on this gray sand beach, and the river was sparkling beside me, and I began crying. And I always, I always thought that, that that welling up of emotion was based around being at the at the source of this incredible river, a river that defines a religion in a lot of ways, and a river that provides sanctuary for for you know twenty percent of the world's population. And I actually discovered years and years after that 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 emotion was was not about the geographical location; it was about something much much deeper. When Jono was a teenager, his younger brother died in a rowing accident. He says a lot of the process of riding into the heart of the Himalayas became about trying to work through his grief. Part of my writing process is I do quite a bit of meditation to completely clear my head and create a sense of spaciousness and void and then approach approach either the writing or the editing of a piece that I've been going through earlier. And I was coming out of a meditation uh, thinking about thinking about the source of the Ganges. And I had a sense of a real sense of deja vu. I'd been there before. And there was something about the the really the clear, cool, cool air and the half light that you experience 
just as the sun's going down. And then that uh, the stillness, because we were 4,000 meters in the Himalayas and there wasn't a breath of wind. And it, it hit me. It hit me as I was coming out of the meditation that the last time those three elements had really figured in my memory was when I'd seen my brother's body dead in a hospital morgue in Canada. And that was it. That's when I realized that what have I been doing for 12 or 13 years at that point? What have I been doing? Of course, this book is really about Gareth, about my little brother Gareth, about his death and the process of me coming to terms with that death. Almost uh, two days before my brother Gareth died, uh, I had been told that I wasn't going to race in the Olympics, and I was a full-time ski racer at that point, so that was complete and absolute shock to me. Um, so I was told I wasn't going to get a race in the Olympics. My brother died. I wasn't told that my brother had died. I was flown back to Canada, and I arrived at the airport, and when I arrived there, uh, my mom and dad and my brother and my sister were there, and they told me that what had happened, I was, I was absolutely devastated. Uh, and then the next morning, I was out with my sister, uh, and I mentioned to her that mom and dad seemed really, you know, they seemed really strange. I mean, of course, you know, Gareth's dead, but they, what's wrong? What's going on? And my sister broke down and started crying. She said, well, mom and dad are divorced. And this divorce had happened while I was ski racing and training in Europe, and no one had told me <laughs> my parents had gotten divorced. So, yeah, there was a confluence of extremely bad situations. There was the loss of my dream about going to the Olympics. Then there was the loss of my family, in a way, because my parents had both separated and divorced. And then there was the loss of my brother. This book, uh, you know, it's a homage to my brother and a homage to the landscape that I love and has given me so much. So my brother was an incredibly effervescent, positive guy. He's the kind of person that could sit with anybody and connect with them. Um, and, of course, the Himalayas is, as I said before, it's a visionary landscape. So the combination of those two, I couldn't, I, I couldn't write a book that... Uh, didn't do them justice, that didn't, that didn't uh, bring both of those out in the most positive light. Because the, the, that process, that 15-year process of coming to terms with Gareth's death has also been the process of me growing into a man and growing into a person who I think maybe in some small way can help others. I mean, I think the book in a lot of ways is is uh, it's not a guide, but you know at, at writers' fests I constantly have people coming up to me, very emotional about about me talking about the book and about the book itself, and almost always those people have lost a loved one, and uh, you know when when some people they break down in tears and. All, and I remember just last week I was at a writer's fest in Victoria and a woman had come up to have a book signed and I asked her, oh, what's your connection to the book? And she just started, yeah, she just started crying. And, and I just, all I could, and she said, she said, you know, time doesn't help it. 
And I stood up and I gave her a hug. And I said, you're not alone. And that helped. I think that helped a lot. There goes my mind again. I always see two steps behind where I can see you clear. place that people have been traveling to for thousands of years because because it is a, a very very special place um, how did the writing affect me or sorry how did the landscape affect me you know the, when you when you travel a route through the Himalayas you generally follow river valleys until the river reaches its source and then you pass over uh, a mountain pass into the next valley and follow that until you get to another mountain pass and so you're constantly moving from that from from a valley to uh, to a peak in a way and uh, it sounds strange but being down by a river uh, having a river flowing beside you for for hours or days on end um, brings on a certain flow uh, of thoughts for me uh, and then as you start to climb the really strenuous climb of getting up to a pass in a way you're coalescing a lot of those thoughts and then if you think about it when you reach a pass you have incredible vistas and all of a sudden your mind and your body expand out so there was a there was a, there was a process a constant process of ideas flowing and then ideas coalescing and I think that came out in, in the notes that I took during that time. You gotta stop this hungering deep inside. You gotta help me make it through the night. Save me. Come back and save me. to a writer's broadcast head to our blog on thewritersblock.net you can also find all of our broadcast episodes there and subscribe to us on itunes thanks for listening